Today then we run the statement of the author Al-Imam Al-Tahawi rahimahullah ta'ala قال وَسَيِّدُ الْمُرْسَلِينَ قال صلى الله عليه وسلم أنا سيد ولد آدم يوم القيامة وأول من ينشق عنه القبر وأول شافع وأول مشفع رواه مسلم وفي أول حديث الشفاعة أنا سيد الناس يوم القيامة رواه مسلم والترمذي عن وافلة ابن الأسقع رضي الله عنه قال قال صلى الله عليه وسلم إن الله اصطفى كنانة من ولد إسماعيل واصطفى قريشا من كنانة واصطفى من قريش بني هاشم واصطفاني من بني هاشم Now Al-Imam Al-Tahawi goes on to explain further regarding our respect and position we have for the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We've already explained regarding the statement, Ashhadu anna Muhammadan abduhu wa rasooluh, that this has four things. Ta'atuhu fi ma amarah, wa ijtinabu ma naha anhu wa zajarah, wa tasdiquhu fi ma akhbarah, wa alla yu'badu allahu illa bima shara'ah. That you will obey the messenger in that which he commands you, you will abstain from that which he prohibits you, you will believe in all of that which he has informed us of, and that Allah is only to be worshipped in the manner that he prescribed to us. And Imam Al-Tahawi now goes on further regarding the Prophet ﷺ, and says that he is Sayyidul Mursaleen, that he is at the, the head of all of the messengers. He is the superior from all of the messengers. And that is mentioned in some of the narrations in Sahih Muslim, for example, Ana Sayyidu Waladi Adam Yom Al Qiyamah, that I am the Sayyid, the, the forefront, the leader, of all of the sons of Adam, all of the people on the day of judgment, and the first one upon whom the grave will split asunder, meaning the first to be resurrected, and and that he will be the first to intercede on that day, and the first to have his intercession accepted on that day. In another narration, in a Tirmidhi, where 
the Prophet وسلم, said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala chose Kinana from the sons of Ismail, the tribe of Kinana, the, the branch of Kinana. And then from them Allah chose Quraysh. From them Allah chose Bani Hashim. And from Bani Hashim Allah chose me, the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. This indicating his lineage and the tribes that he came from. So all of that indicates to us that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam is the best of mankind. He is the best of all of the prophets and the messengers. He is the leader of all of the mankind. However, قَدْ يُشْكِلْ عَلَى بَعْضِ النَّاسِ قَوْلُهُ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ لَا تُفَضِّلُونِ عَلَى مُوسَى فَإِنَّ النَّاسِ يَصْعَقُونَ يَوْمَ الْقِيَامَةِ فَأَكُونُ أَوَّلَ مَنْ يُفِيقُ فَأَجِدُ مُوسَى بَاطِشًا بِسَاقِ الْعَرْشِ فَلَا أَدْرِي هَلْ أَفَاقَ قَبْلِي أَوْ كَانَ مِمَّنْ إِسْتَثْنَى اللَّهِ There is a narration in Al-Bukhari wa Muslim خَرَّجَاهُ فِي صَحِحَيْنِ There is a narration in Al-Bukhari and Muslim where the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, do not prefer me over Musa. All the narrations we've just been reading indicate he is the best of all of mankind, all of the prophets and messengers. But in this narration in Al-Bukhari and Muslim, he himself, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, don't prefer me over Musa. Don't give me superiority over Musa. On the day of judgment, all of the people will fall unconscious, all of them, when the blowing of the trumpet, etc. occurs. Then he says, فَأَكُونُ أَوَّلَ مَنْ يُفِقُ I will be the first one to regain consciousness. When everybody is laid unconscious on that day, he says, I, Muhammad Wasallam, will be the first to regain consciousness on that day. But then he says, when I regain consciousness on that day, the first of all of the people, already I notice straight away that Musa alayhi salam is clinging to the, the, uh, the throne of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That Musa alayhi salam was already conscious. So then the Prophet says, I don't know. Did he regain consciousness before me? هَلْ أَفَاقَ قَبْلِي أَوْ كَانَ مِمَّنْ إِسْتَثْنَى اللَّهِ Or was Musa a.s. exempt from that unconsciousness that occurred to everybody else? Did Allah make Musa a.s. exempt from that in the first place? Or did he regain consciousness before me? Either way, the narration indicates Musa salam was conscious as soon as the Prophet regained consciousness, meaning it indicates he was before the Prophet wasallam. Does this therefore indicate some superiority of Musa salam therefore 
over the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ, taking into consideration at the beginning of the hadith, the Prophet ﷺ actually says, لَا تُفَضِّلُونِ عَلَى مُوسَى Don't even give me superiority over Musa. So how do we combine this narration with all of the others? All of the others saying that the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ is the superior one of all of the creation. He says, كَيْفَ يُجْمَعْ بَيْنَ هَذَا وَبَيْنَ قَوْلِهِ أَنَا سَيِّدُ وَلَدِ آدَمُ وَلَا فَخَرُ الجواب أن هذا كان له سبب فإنه كان قد قال يهودي لا والذي اصطفى موسى على البشر فلطمه مسلم وقال أتقول هذا ورسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم بين أظهرنا فجاء اليهودي فاشتكى من المسلم الذي لطمه فقال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم هذا لأن التفضيل إذا كان على وجه الحمية والعصبية وهوى النفس كان مذموما بل نفس الجهاد إذا قاتل الرجل حمية وعصبية كان مذموما فإن الله حرم الفخر وقد قال الله تعالى ولقد فضلنا بعض النبيين على بعض وقال تلك الرسل فضلنا بعضهم على بعض فعلم أن المذموم إنما هو التفضيل على وجه الفخر أو على وجه الانتقاص بالمفضول وعلى هذا يحمل أيضا قول سلم لا تفضلوا بين الأنبياء إن كان ثابتا فإن هذا قد روي في نفس الحديث في نفس حديث موسى وهو في البخاري وغيره لكن بعض الناس يقول إن في علة بخلاف حديث موسى فإن صحيح لا علة فيه باتفاقهم This is one point that some scholars explain that the reason why the Prophet ﷺ said to them, don't give me precedence over Musa ﷺ, was because of a very specific incident that occurred. There was a very particular and specific incident that occurred. And that was an incident where on one occasion, where a Jewish person was saying, no, Musa alayhi salam is the superior one. So a Muslim who heard that, he hit him and said, how dare you say that when Muhammad sallallahu is here? Meaning he is the superior one. So then the Jew went to the Prophet to complain that this man hit me over this affair. So then the Prophet made this statement, don't prefer me over Musa alayhi salam. It was in the context of that story that perhaps that Muslim had become angered at the statement of the Jew due to the lineage and due to the uh, relationship of the tribe with the Prophet Meaning the Prophet was educating them, don't give me preference for those reasons. If it's like that, then don't give me preference over Musa salam. My preference is because of who he is as a messenger, the seal of the prophets. Not a preference for any racial preference or any tribal preference. 
So what he meant there, some scholars say is, that don't prefer me over Musa alayhi salam on these things, tribal or, or racial or anything like that. That there is no preference, don't give me preference over Musa alayhi salam. But otherwise, in terms of being the final messenger, the seal of the prophets, then of course he is superior. Then also after that, after now learning that the Prophet ﷺ, he is the superior and the best of all of mankind, and the best of all of the Prophets and the Messengers, there are other narrations that prove this also. And they are Ahadith al-Shafa'ah, Yawm al-Qiyamah. The ahadith about the intercession on the day of judgment. We already mentioned those before. Yawm al-Qiyamah. When you see all of the difficulties and the fear and the fright and the terror of that day. When they see all of that terror and fright and fear. So then they say, Find someone who can intercede, do shafa'a, for us with Allah. So they say, go to Adam. So they go to Adam alayhi salam, and they say to him, Allah created you with his own hands. Allah created you with his own hands. You seek intercession for us. But he says, he excuses himself. Excuses himself, gives the reasoning about eating from the tree, and says, go to Nuh alayhi salam. So then they go to Nuh alayhi salam, and they say, you are awwal, awwal al-rusul, the first of the messengers. So ishfa' lana. He says no, excuses himself and sends them to Musa alayhi salam. Musa alayhi salam excuses himself, sends them to Ibrahim alayhi salam. Ibrahim alayhi salam excuses himself, sends them to Isa alayhi salam. He excuses himself, sends them to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi salam. He is the one who then goes and can do that intercession. This again indicating the virtue of the Prophet ﷺ over the other Prophets and Messengers. Similarly, when they go to Jannah, to Paradise, and they come to Babul Jannah, to the gate of Paradise, but it is closed. The people of Paradise now go after the Sirat, finished everything, they go to Paradise. But the gate of Paradise is closed. So then they say, find somebody, find someone who can intercede for us with Allah, speak on our behalf to Allah for the gate to be opened. So they go to Adam salam, Ibrahim, Musa, Isa, salam, all of them excuse themselves until they send them to Muhammad sallallahu He is the one who makes the intercession and then the gates of paradise are opened. Again, indicating the virtue of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam 
over and above the other prophets and messengers. Then, Al-Imam Al-Tahawi يقول, وَحَبِيبُ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ That the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is Habibu Rabbil Alameen. This is true, no doubt. He is the beloved. Habib meaning beloved. What's the word they use? Beloved. He is the beloved of Rabbul Alameen, the creator, the Lord of all of the creation of Allah. Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is the beloved of Allah. Habibullah. Is there any problem in using this statement, Habibullah? Is there any problem or is it good? But Habibullah, is there any problem? Habibullah, it's praise, praiseworthy, but there is one issue. Aywa. Aha. فَهُنَاكَ مَرْتَبَ أَعْلَى مِنْ هَذَا Here the shaykh says, ثَبَتَ لَهُ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ أَعْلَى مَرَاتِبِ الْمَحَبَّةِ وَهِيَ الْخُلَّةِ فَهُوَ أَعْلَى مِنْ حَبِيبِ اللَّهِ هُوَ خَلِيلُ اللَّهِ So instead of you saying Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi is Habibullah, which is actually not the full praise. The full praise is Khalilullah. Because Khalil is the most beloved, as opposed to Habib, beloved. Khalil is a higher level of being beloved, the highest. And that has been affirmed for the Prophet ﷺ, that he is the Khalilullah. So why would you say Habibullah, he is the most beloved of Allah, when he is actually more than that. He is Khalilullah, a higher level than Habib. And that's why the scholars, they say it is... It's praise to say Habibullah, but you're not giving it the full praise. You are not giving the full praise to the Prophet ﷺ that he has. And that is to say, Khalilullah, as opposed to Habibullah. كَمَا صَحَّ عَنْهُ صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ أَنَّهُ قَالَ إِنَّ اللَّهَ اتَّخَذَنِي خَلِيلًا كَمَا اتَّخَذَ إِبْرَاهِيمَ خَلِيلًا Allah has taken me as a khalil, just as Allah took Ibrahim alayhi salam as a khalil. وَقَالْ لَوْ كُنْتُ مُتَّخِذًا مِنْ أَهْلِ الْأَرْضِ خَلِيلًا لَتَّخَذْتُ مَنْ أَبَا بَكْرِ لَتَّخَذْتُ أَبَا بَكْرٍ خَلِيلًا وَلَكِنَّ صَاحِبَكُمْ خَلِيلُ الرَّحْمَانِ He said that if I was going to take somebody as a khalil, Prophet Muhammad was saying, if I was gonna take somebody as a khalil, then I would have taken Abu Bakr as a khalil. Now, الحديثان الحديث الأول إن الله اتخذني خليلا كما اتخذ إبراهيم خليلا والثاني لو كنت متخذا من أهل الأرض خليلا اتخذت أبو بكر خليلا الحديثان في الصحيح وهما يبطلان قول من قال الخلة لإبراهيم والمحبة لمحمد
هذان الحديثان يبطلان قول من قال الخلة لإبراهيم فقط وأما المحبة فهو لمحمد كلام باطل قول باطل These two narrations they highlight the incorrect nature of the statement of the one who says that the Khalil is Ibrahim Khalilullah and Muhammad Sallallahu is the Habibullah Some people they say that Khalilullah is Ibrahim Alayhi Salam Habibullah is Muhammad Sallallahu That's actually incorrect and these two narrations prove it Muhammad Sallallahu himself is also Khalilullah and you should not downgrade it downgrade to only Habibullah he is Khalilullah along with also Ibrahim alayhi salam fa Ibrahim Khalilullah wa Muhammad sallallahu sallam Khalilullah anas fu mahabba amma al mahabba qad thabatat lighayrihi as for just the level of Habib, then that is even proven for other believers. You're not really raising the Prophet ﷺ to his rightful status, saying he is just Habibullah. Even normal believers can have the mahabba of Allah. So for example, Allah says in the Qur'an, وَاللَّهُ يُحِبُّ الْمُحْسِنِينَ Allah loves the good doers, the rightful ones, the muhsinun. Allah loves them. فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ يُحِبُّ الْمُتَّقِينَ Allah loves the people of taqwa in another ayah. إِنَّ اللَّهَ يُحِبُّ التَّوَّابِينَ وَيُحِبُّ الْمُتَطَهِّرِينَ Allah loves the people who repent and the people who are upon purification. So this attribute or this mahabba, uh, being habib, that is established for normal people too. You're not really praising the Prophet ﷺ to his rightful level, saying only Habibullah, even other believers can be Habibullah. But Khalilullah, that is now something only specific. Ibrahim ﷺ and Muhammad ﷺ. That is the true praise to the right level. فَبَطَلَ قَوْلُ مَنْ خَصَّ الْخُلَّ بِإِبْرَاهِيمُ وَالْمَحَبَّ لِمُحَمَّدِ So this shows you the incorrectness of the statement of those who say that Ibrahim is the Khalil and Muhammad is Habib. That is incorrect. Muhammad is Khalil also. بعد ذلك الإمام الطحاوي he says يقول وكل دعوة نبوة بعده فغي وهوى that every claim to prophethood after the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, then it is misguidance and desires only. It is falsehood, misguided desires, trials and tribulations of those people. There is no prophethood after Muhammad sallallahu Anybody claiming that after the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu it is misguidance and it is desires of the people. لَمَّا ثَبَتَ أَنَّهُ خَاتَمُ النَّبِيِّينَ عُلِمَ أَنَّ مَنِ الدَّعَى بَعْدَهُ النُّبُوَّةِ 
فَهُوَ كَاذِبٌ It's been proven that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is the seal of the prophets. That's proven. If that has been proven in the Qur'an itself, in the sunnah itself, from the statement of the Prophet ﷺ himself, لا نبي بعدي, he said, there is no Prophet after me. That's proven. Therefore, anybody who claims Prophethood now, is certainly a liar. Proven liar. Because the revelation in the Qur'an and the sunnah has told you, Muhammad ﷺ is the seal of the Prophets. Anybody now claiming he has prophethood is going against that revelation proven straight away as a liar. وَلَا يُقَالْ فَلَوْ جَاءَ الْمُدَّعِي لِلنُّبُوَّةِ بِالْمُعْجَزَاتِ الْخَارِقَةِ وَالْبَرَاهِينَ الصَّادِقَةِ كَيْفَ يُقَالْ بِتَكْذِيبِهِ Don't fall into the traps of misguidance and start saying, but if somebody comes along claiming prophethood and they can do miraculous things, they can do miraculous things out of the ordinary, supernatural. They can do all of these miraculous things. Then how can we be so sure and say definitely he's not a prophet? Don't fall into that type of mentality or thinking. لِأَنَّا نَقُولْ هَذَا لَا يُتَصَوَّرْ أَنْ يُوجَدْ وَهُوَ مِنْ بَابِ فَرْضِ الْمُحَالِ what we can say is that it's an impossibility. It's an impossibility. There cannot be another prophet. Quran tells you. So now no matter what somebody comes and tries to do, magic and sorcery and supernatural things they can do and miracles they can perform and they claim it's because of prophethood, we know that is a liar and whatever he's doing, he's doing it from the shaitan and the jinn and whatever it may be. He is an absolute liar, proven by the Qur'an itself. قَوْلُهُ وَهُوَ الْمَبْعُوثُ إِلَىٰ عَامَّةِ الْجِنِّ وَكَافَةِ الْوَرَىٰءِ بِالْحَقِّ وَالْهُدَىٰ بِالنُّورِ وَالْضِيَاءِ here now, Imam al-Tahawi goes on to mention the fact that the Prophet ﷺ was sent to all of mankind. And this is another important point. All of these points, make note of them one by one and keep them in your minds. This point now he's making is that the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ was sent as a messenger to all of mankind. Why is that a particular point to make? Why is this important? Al-Mab'uth ila ammatil jinni wa kaffatil wara. Why is this point important? Okay, but previous prophets and messengers, Al-Anbiya wa Rusul, al-Ladina jau min qablihi. They used to be sent to their people. The prophets and messengers who came before used to be sent to their people. To their people. إِلَىٰ قَوْمِهِمْ As for the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ, to all of the people. That's a difference. That's one of the differences. 
previous prophets and messengers used to be sent to their people, to their nations. The Prophet Muhammad wasn't sent to one nation. He wasn't sent to Quraysh or to the Arab or to the people of Jazeera to the Arab. He was sent to all of mankind, to every person. Guidance for the, the jinn and the humans. All of that to everyone, as opposed to the previous prophets and messengers who were sent to their people only. أَمَّا كَوْنُهُ مَبْعُوثًا إِلَىٰ عَامَّةِ الْجِنِّ فَقَدْ قَالَ تَعَالَى حِكَايَةً حِكَايَةً عَنْ قَوْلِ الْجِنِّ يَا قَوْمَنَا أَجِيبُوا دَاعِيَ اللَّهِ As for the proof, one of the proofs that Muhammad ﷺ, this final revelation applies to the jinn, is the statement in the Qur'an, Allah tells us the jinn, they said, Ya qawmana, the jinn said to each other, Oh jinn, our people, ajibu da'i Allah, respond and answer the call of the caller to Allah, or the caller of Allah. Muhammad answer to him, respond and accept the da'wah of the caller of Allah. That's what Allah tells us the jinn said to each other regarding the revelation in Muhammad sallallahu Obviously surah al-jinn as well, when you read that it tells you in there how it proves that they understood and it was mentioned that the Prophet sallallahu was sent to them too. قَالَ مُقَاتِلْ لَمْ يَبْعَثِ اللَّهِ رَسُولًا إِلَىٰ الْإِنْسِ وَالْجِنِّ قَبْلَهُ وَهَذَا قَوْلٌ بَعِيدٌ لَعَلَّهُ فَقَدْ قَالَ تَعَالَىٰ يَا مَعْشَرَ الْجِنِّ وَالْإِنْسِ أَلَمْ يَأْتِكُمْ رُسُولٌ مِّنْكُمْ وَالرُّسُلٌ مِّنَ الْإِنْسِ فَقَطْ وَلَيْسَ مِنَ الْجِنِّ رَسُولٌ Some of the scholars of tafsir said, that there was never a messenger or a prophet before sent to the jinn. Muhammad was the first one sent to people and jinn. To the people and to the jinn. However, however, in the Quran it mentions, O jinn, the masses of the jinn and the humans, did messengers not come to you from before? Indicating that even the jinn before in their nations, where the prophets and messengers were sent, jinn in those nations were also addressed by their prophets and messengers. So, the point being though previously it was still restricted to those nations where they were, whereas this was now open to all of the jinn and all of the humans when the prophets was sent. So that is regarding the fact that the Prophet ﷺ was sent to all of the people. قَالَ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ وَالْحَدِيثِ صَحِيحَيْنِ أُعْطِيتُ خَمْسًا لَمْ يُعْطَهُنَّ أَحَدٌ مِنَ الْأَنْبِيَاءِ قَبْلِي The Prophet ﷺ said, I have been given five things that no other Prophet and Messenger was given before me. I've been given five things, no prophet or messenger was given before me. Nusirtu birru'bi masirata shahr. This was the first one. That Allah aided the Prophet 
in such a way that when they were a month's traveling distance away from the enemy and news reached them, the enemy, enemy would start to fear. They're a month away yet. A month away in traveling distance. From that distance when news reached the enemies, they're a month of traveling away yet. Already fear would strike into their hearts. Secondly, جُعِلَتْ لِيَ الْأَرْضُ مَسْجِدًا وَطَهُورًا That all of the earth was made pure to pray upon. Of course we know of the exceptions, the bathrooms, etc, etc. But otherwise, generally all of the earth here, there, outside, street, park, road. Otherwise, generally all of the earth, everywhere the ground, with those exceptions aside of the bathrooms and etc., all of the earth otherwise is a place that is pure for you to pray upon. You go to a field, any field you can pray on it. Go to the road outside, you can pray on it. Go on the street, in the house, on the carpet, anywhere. All of the earth is made pure to pray upon. The only places are the exceptions where the exceptions exist. Toilets, bathrooms, where there's impurity, etc. But otherwise, the earth as a whole, all of it is pure to pray upon. So that was something that the Prophet ﷺ was given also. فَأَيُّمَا رَجُلٍ مِنْ أُمَّةِ أَدْرَكَتْهُ الصَّلَاءِ فَلْيُصَلِّ So the Prophet ﷺ said, any person when the time of the prayer comes upon you, meaning wherever you are, pray. You can pray. In the field, in the street where you are, the time of the prayer comes, you have to pray, then pray where you are. Three. وَأُحِلَّتْ لِي الْغَنَائِمُ وَلَمْ تَحِلَّ لِأَحَدٍ قَبْلِي The war booty. That was made permissible for him and it was not permissible prior to that. Number four, وَأُعْطِيتُ الشَّفَاعَةِ That I was given the intercession. And we spoke about that just now. About the intercession the Prophet ﷺ will make. وَالْخَامِسِ The fifth, كَانَ النَّبِيُ وَهَذَا هُوَ الشَّاهِدِ كَانَ النَّبِيُ يُبْعَثُ إِلَى قَوْمِهِ خَاصَةِ وَبُعِثْتُ إِلَى النَّاسِ That the prophets before used to be sent to their people specifically. Whereas I was sent to all of mankind, to all of the people as a whole. And that is in Al-Bukhari and Muslim. أيضاً في صحيح Muslim قال صلى الله عليه وسلم لا يسمع بي رجل من هذه الأمة يهودي ولا نصراني ثم لا يؤمن بي إلا دخل النار That there is not a person from this ummah as a whole, everybody now, mankind whether Jew or Christian who hears about me but then still doesn't believe in me except that he will end up in hellfire Anybody who hears of him and doesn't believe will end up in the hellfire. فَكَوْنُهُ صَلَى اللَّهِ وسلم مَبْعُوثًا إِلَى النَّاسِ كَافَةً مَعْلُومٌ مِنْ دِينِ الْإِسْلَامِ بِالْضَرُورَةِ So this is something which is known by necessity that the Prophet ﷺ is sent to all of the people. أَمَّا قَوْلُ بَعْضِ النَّصَارَى As for the statement of some of the Christians, and they used to say this, some of them perhaps still now. إِنَّهُ رَسُولٌ إِلَىٰ الْعَرَبْ خَاصَةً 
Some of them used to say that Muhammad Sallallahu is a messenger to the Arabs only. فَظَاهِرُ الْبُطْلَانِ Clear in its falsehood, that statement of this. فَإِنَّهُمْ لَمَّا صَدَّقُوا بِالرِّسَالَةِ لَزِمَهُمْ تَصْدِيقُهُ فِي كُلِّ مَا يُخْبِرُ بِهِ وَقَدْ قَالْ إِنَّهُ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ إِلَى النَّاسِ عَامَّةِ وَالرَّسُولُ لَا يَكْذِبُ فَلَزِمَ تَصْدِيقُهُ حَتْمًا فَقَدْ أَرْسَلَ رُسُلَهُ وَبَثَّ كُتُبَهُ فِي أَقْطَارِ الْأَرْضِ إِلَى كِسْرَى وَقَيْصَرْ وَالنَّجَاشِ وَالْمَقَوْقِسِ وَسَائِرِ مُلُوكِ الْأَطْرَافِ يَدْعُو إِلَى الْإِسْلَامِ So their statement is clearly incorrect, clearly false. If you believe in the messengership of the Prophet ﷺ, then you have to understand and believe that he was sent to all of mankind, not to one tribe or to one race of people or to one area, but to everyone. And the Shaykh in the, uh, Ibn Abi Al-Izz Al-Hanafi, he mentions, look at how the Prophet ﷺ sent the, the messages and the da'wah to leaders all over the place and people all over the place. Mentions the Kisra. Uh, uh, what do they call the Kisra in English? The Caesar is Qaisar. Kisra is the Persians. Kosros, I think I believe it's the Persians. You know, these are names of the leaders. Not their personal names, but the name of a leader. Like the leaders of Egypt are called Pharaohs. They are called pharaohs. The leaders of Rome were called the Caesars. So these are that. Kisra, I believe, was of the Persians. Qaisar, you have the Caesar. Najashi was the name of the rulers of, of Abyssinia and, and uh, that area. Al-Maqawqis, in English again, I don't know, I don't remember. Huh? What's the name? What did they give? What's the name of it? You have pharaohs, you have Caesars, you have this, you have that. Al-Maqawqis, uh, somebody check. For next week, your homework. Check what those in English are called. History. Remember GCSE history. You'll find out. And to the kings of all of the other places. And he called them all to Islam. To all of these various lands and areas and, uh, and places. And he called them all to Islam. And in the Quran, Allah says, in the Quran, Allah says, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ إِلَّا كَافَةً لِلنَّاسِ That we have not sent you except to the masses of the people. So all of these uh, indicate that the Prophet ﷺ was sent to the masses of the people. That is where we're going to conclude on today. Next week now, it's a new topic. Now Imam Al-Tahawi moves on to a new chapter in the book and it's the chapter regarding the Quran. Al-Quran. Hal al-Quran makhluq? Taban ghayru makhluq. The Quran is not created. Kalamullah ghayru makhluq munazzal minhu bada'a wa ilayhi yu'ud. So this issue of the Quran, what is the Quran? The speech of Allah, the attribute of Allah, how was it revealed, all about the Qur'an. That is the next topic that the Imam al-Tahawi now begins with. And these topics now are very important too as they go along. Because now you'll see chapter by chapter he talks about different topics. So now the next topic starting is the topic regarding the Qur'an, the speech of Allah. 
So that's what we'll start with inshallah next week at 7 p.m. Conclude on that for today. Any questions then on anything there? If you're in a plane or a ship, hukum salat al-musafir. If you are in uh, in the aeroplane, in the train, how do you pray? So how do you pray? If you're traveling in a plane, in a ship, in a train, in a car, car a little bit different because a car you have control. You can stop, go to services, pray, whatever. Plane you have no control, train you have no control, ships you have no control. So modes of transport where you have no control. Where you have control, khalas, you can stop, get out, pray, go to a mosque, everything, do what you want. So in transport, planes, trains, airplanes. Imagine now you're going to be traveling. There's a few issues with this. First is, if you can avoid praying on the transport, then you should avoid it. Meaning, let's say, for example, your flight is tomorrow afternoon. Tomorrow afternoon at 4 p.m. Your flight is tomorrow 4 p.m. from... Heathrow Airport. So now, you're going to get to the airport, you're going to set off early, you're going to get there midday. The boarding, if it's 4 o'clock, the boarding is going to be 3.30 p.m. That's when they start boarding, half an hour before the flight, 45 minutes. So by that time, Zuhr will have already entered. You're already going to be a traveler from here, leads all the way to London. So you can pray your Zuhr and your Asr in the airport, they got the prayer room, whatever. Pray your Zuhr and Asr combined already. You're traveling anyway. Don't leave it and say, well, the, the flight is going to be six hours. I'll pray my, my Dhuhr Asr on the airplane. Why? Now you have the chance to pray it before you get onto the transport, then pray it. So that's the first thing. If you can pray outside of the transport, pray it outside of the transport. The other way as well. Imagine that your flight is tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. So Fajr, you're going to pray first, no problem. You're going to get on your plane. The flight is eight hours long. And... Uh, let's say for example to make it even easier the example you're flying west so 8 hours long you set off at 6am 8 hours the flight 2pm UK time it's actually going to be 10am in, in America wherever you land so now on the plane whilst you're on the plane in fact in that example Dhuhr is never going to enter on that example Dhuhr time will never even enter on the plane if you go on the plane at 6 a.m. and it's a nine-hour flight going west. So you're going to land at 3 p.m. UK time, but it's going to be 11 a.m. or even these days, five hours difference, yeah. uh, 10 a.m. So Dhuhr will never enter. The time for Dhuhr will never enter on the plane for you. Because you're going west and, you, uh, and the time is coming when you see on the screen. On that screen they show you the black and, the, and all that thing. Dhuhr will never even enter. But let's say it enters. Let's say you leave at 10 a.m., 8 hour flight, 6 p.m. you land, it's there, 2 p.m. Dhuhr just about enters one hour before you land. Don't pray on the plane, because you're going to land at 2 p.m. their time, you can get off and pray on the ground. So the first thing is, avoid praying on transport if you can. Before 
after, if that can be done, good. If it can't be done, it can't be done. For example, now uh, your flight leaves at midday from here, and it's all the way to Australia, 12, 13, 15 hours, you have to pray some prayers on the plane. In that case now, first, if you can, and it's difficult these days with all of the laws and everything, but if you can, you should still stand in the plane and pray. Saudi Arabia Airlines, mashallah, they give you the, the room. You can stand. You should stand and pray. Then you can't sit in your seat. Even in the other airlines, if they allow you, and I've done it in some Air Canada and British Airways, I think in some of these other airlines, you go to the area, a PIA Muslim, alhamdulillah, anyway. But even non-Muslim airlines, any, even non-Muslim airlines, Air Canada, I remember, going to Canada, I asked them, they said, no problem, quickly you can pray. At the back where they do the food, they have the area, they let you stand. If they let you, then okay. Nowadays, it's very difficult. Because of turbulence and problems they've had and people getting injured and getting sued and all types of things. It's rare that they'll give you permission to stand and pray. But you ask them, you can try. If they say yes, then you stand and pray. Find the direction of the Qibla, where your plane is going, work out which way you're heading. And therefore which way is towards the Kaaba, stand that way and pray normal. If they don't let you stand up and pray, then in your seat. Where you are in your seat, in the train, in the plane, in the ship. In your seat. Again, find the direction of the Qibla. So you're sitting, for example, in your seat and you work out on your map and everything. The Qibla is that way. So then in your seat, just move that way and just pray. Face that way and just pray in your seat. Facing as much as you can towards the Qibla and that's it. That's how you would pray in a plane, in a train, when you're stuck on your seat and you can't get up. In your seat, face the direction and pray. Pray sitting down there. Sorry, Mama said, because you're in the air, you're on the ground, so... Who said that? Uh -huh. You're in the air. Uh -huh. There's no ground. Uh -huh. But if you're in the air and there's no ground, so what does that mean? That uh, uh, you can't pray and you can't do what? You should repeat it or if you do, then you should repeat it. Mm. You don't need to repeat? I've never heard this fatwa from me, uh, that this is a legitimate fatwa. But if you're in the air, it, it doesn't make a difference like that. You are even buildings now, for example. If you're not on the ground floor, you could be on a building which is 30 floors high, you're on the top roof of the building. You're not on the ground on the floor. You're still above, you've you got air between you to the ground, 30 floors. It's not a condition to be on the earth, to pray on the earth itself. If that was the condition in the haram, you can't have the second floor, you can't have the third floor, you can't have anything. Everybody's got to pray on the earth. It's not a condition. Never heard of this condition, it's not mentioned by the scholars. Very like Maybe some weak opinion somewhere, somebody... But you can pray. In the plane you pray, facing the direction of prayer. I have a question. Huh? If you enter Masjid, yeah, and uh, you do wuzu, do you read the Qibla first or do you do the Qibla first? The Masjid, Tahiyyatul Masjid, isn't a specific prayer. So when you make your wudu, you can make your intention for the two of wudu. And in that intention you have Tahiyyatul Masjid as well. Tahiyyatul Masjid can go into intention of anything. So imagine now you come to the mosque, you just come in and already they're doing the iqama. So dhuhr for example. So straight away now they're doing iqama, you can't pray tahiyat al-masjid. Line up and pray dhuhr. Are you going to get up after dhuhr and pray tahiyat al-masjid now? Because that is included in dhuhr. You make wudu, you come into the mosque now, you pray two for wudu, tahiyat al-masjid included in that. The first prayer you pray, tahiyat al-masjid is included in that one. So you don't pray it separate. Just pray the two for wudu and that's it. 
No, no. There's no separate prayer. Tahid al-Masjid, the point is, when you come to the mosque, pray a greeting to the mosque before you sit down. When you walk into the mosque and you pray the two for wudu, have you prayed a greeting prayer for the mosque now? Have you prayed before sitting down? You've done it. It's included in that first prayer, that's it. So if you have you can pray two for, uh, for wudu, and in that intention you have Tahid al-Masjid, that's it. You can do that. Do the two for the wudu, yeah. And tahitul masjid is included. When you walk in for dhuhr prayer, that's it. That's it. You walk in for dhuhr prayer, you're doing a two sunnah of dhuhr. In that is your intention of tahitul masjid as well. The first prayer you pray, tahitul masjid is in that. That's it. Any prayer when you enter, it's open. That you pray two before sitting down. So you pray two for wudu, you join straight into the sunnah of dhuhr or straight into the obligatory fard of dhuhr. Whatever prayer, you are now praying that opening prayer for the greeting. It's in there. That's it. There's no specific other prayer. <laughs> this issue about Sayyidina You know, do you say Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad There is a, We did it in fact In Kitab al-Tawheed If you remember we did this chapter Inshallah next week I'll bring it I'll bring the chapter regarding the section And this issue of Do you say Sayyidina Muhammad or not There was a small discussion One section mentioned some of the fatawa of the scholars I don't remember all of the fatawa now though but next week, inshallah, I'll remember to bring that chapter, that it's a paragraph, two paragraphs, about this topic. Do you say, uh, Allahumma say, Sayyidina Muhammad, or you cannot say Sayyidina? And there was a small discussion regarding it, inshallah, next week I'll bring it. We'll read it, inshallah. Well, the question, if you came to well, you can do the adhkar because there's going to be time. You can do your adhkar. You got time to do adhkar? No, I mean, unless you you pray in some of these mosques when they pray, it's like two minutes left. It's going to be sunrise. Otherwise, uh, after you pray, you got time to one minute, two minutes do adhkar and then pray your sunnah. That's no problem. Man. Just a question regarding traveling. Mm. So it's one o'clock, Zohar's coming now. Um, and I'm going to go to Manchester at half past two. Um, and I'm just going to delay it to go to Manchester so I can just pray the two or two together. No, ideally, in that situation, if the prayer has entered already and you haven't set off yet, scholars say it's better pray it now. It's already entered. Pray and then leave. Then don't say, okay, well, I, I, I'm going to start traveling. 
still within the time of Dhuhr and I'll combine it with my Asr etc. afterwards, I'll be able to do that. If you if the time has started, especially in that type of example, you got an hour, an hour and a half yet, then they say pray that now. Same with the opposite. Ideally, as Shaykh Al-Thameen says, imagine now you're coming back from a journey. You're coming back from London. Uh, and uh, you set off from London after Asr. After Asr you set off. So after Asr when you set off now, obviously Maghrib time is going to come on the road. Nine o'clock these days, whatever, a bit early afterwards. Uh, Maghrib comes on the road. So you stop and pray Maghrib. Should you pray your Isha combined with two as well or not? Because you know you'll be back 10 p.m., 10.30 p.m. You set off after Asr, you'll be home back in Leeds 10 p.m., 10.30, 11 p.m. Isha time will still be here. So in that case, should you, when you stop at 9 p.m. to pray a Maghrib, combine your two for Isha since you're a traveler? Or should you just pray a Maghrib and say that the four Isha, I'm going to be back in Leeds at the time when Isha is still there? So I leave that and I'll pray it properly when I get home then. No need to combine that. Which one do you do? That one, uh, it, both are allowed. If you combine, you can because you are Musafir and it is permissible to combine. But the Shaykh Al-Ithaymeen, he has a fatwa, he says in that instance, if you know, you know, you're going to get back and there is time. Then it's better for you to get back and pray your full prayer. If you can do that. But if, if not, it's allowed to combine in that situation as well. If you, uh, I mean, if that's the type of situation you've got, if that's a situation, nothing you can half do. Half the road, you half, 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 half traveling. In that situation, if you have no choice, you have no choice. That's like a, 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 a same with an airplane thing. Your airplane flight is a certain time. You've got to leave at a certain time. you just got to work out what you're going to do with the timing of the flight. Nothing else you can do. Appointment similar thing. Well, uh, now it's the winter time. You know, some of the Muslims need to combine Maghrib and Isha together. Just because it's the winter. Uh, is that okay now? Al-Jam'a between Salat al-Maghrib and Isha. Ayyuh. Al-Jam'a between Salat is it permissible to combine between Al-Maghrib and Isha in the summer? اختلاف There's a, a few issues with this. Why are you going to be allowed to combine Maghrib and Isha in the summer in the first place? Different reasons. Either because of the lateness of Isha in these European countries, northern European countries, the lateness of Isha, 11.15 it starts. And then Fajr, 2.30 a.m., 3 o'clock jama'ah. How are you going to finish your Isha, go home, sleep, you sleep straight away, alone, wake up. It's difficult. So now some scholars say because of that, that's one of the reasons some of them may allow you to combine your Isha with your Maghrib at 9.30 p.m., 10 o'clock, and you can go home and go to sleep. That's one reason. Some of them as well say, uh, the Salatul Isha. Salatul Isha, when does it start? The whole waqt Salatul Isha, alamatu ish. What is it normally? 11, in the UK, mashallah, all the way to Fajr, no yagheeb. So the other thing is, technically, 
The Isha time never starts because that redness of the sky never really disappears in these summer nights. All night you, see, you can see the light. So technically you could say Isha doesn't start. So that you've got these kind of issues. Scholars, some of them therefore give the fatwa, you can combine Maghrib and Isha in the summer. Some of them have said, like a Sheikh Ubaidi mentioned once, like the brother said, if you're going to combine, then you only have the right to do that if you're going to go home after Maghrib and straight away sleep. Sheikh Ubaid did say that. He said, otherwise, why are you combining? You're going to relax up till 2 o'clock anyway. If you're staying awake, you're going to be awake at the time of Isha. Then why are you combining? So then uh, Sheikh Ubaid, he mentioned uh, once when he gave the fatwa about this topic, he said, that's upon the condition that there is tiredness, there is a problem with the time being so tight, you need to get some rest. Okay, if you're going to pray your Maghrib Isha and go home, sleep, no messing about, then okay, you have the right to combine. Others, uh, they mentioned it generally, whether you are going to sleep or not going to sleep, but that's an opinion of some scholars. Some scholars. Other scholars, obviously, don't have that opinion. The prayers are at fixed times. So Sheikh bin Baz, for example, he doesn't agree with this at all. He, I mean, this issue is not new. This thing about the summer in the UK, it's been happening before and before and before. Sheikh bin Baz, he said, no, what are you talking about? Isha at the time of Maghrib, what time is Isha supposed to be? How are you praying to the Maghrib? Who told you to pray Isha at Maghrib time? Which fatwa have you got for that? He said, no, Isha at Isha time. In the, in the Qur'an, the sunnah, everything has been told to us when the prayer times are. So, Isha prayer is at Isha prayer time. You can't just combine it because, oh, but Fajr is too early and this and that. Even if Fajr is too early at 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock, in the end, in the end, it doesn't really affect anything. Because look, when you mathematically work it out, when you look at things, it may disturb your pattern of sleep, but it doesn't disturb how many hours you're actually sleeping. So now, for example, you pray your Isha at 11 o'clock these days, and you get home to sleep for, let's say, 12 o'clock. And you sleep till 2.30 a.m., Jama'ah, 3 o'clock, for example. So you get two and a half hours. Then by the time you finish Jama'ah, get home, 3.30, put your head down again, and you can sleep till 7.30 before you go to work. So that's another four hours, six hours of sleep. Let's say Fajr is at 5 a.m. You get home... At midnight again, you go to sleep and you get four and a half hours before Fajr. Five o'clock you go pray, six o'clock you come back, then after six you get another two hours. You've still only got six hours. It doesn't matter where Fajr is in the night, you're just going to get more hours uh, after it, or before it rather, you'll get, you'll get more hours before it, and you'll get less hours after it. it you're going to end up with the same amount of hours in the time, if you, if you pray your Isha late and uh, you keep the Isha at the fixed time, then it doesn't matter. Imagine Isha is at 11 o'clock, it doesn't make a difference what time Fajr is. If Isha is at 11, it doesn't make a difference what time Fajr is. You either get more hours before it or more hours after it. If it's early, you get up early, you only get a little bit of sleep, but then after it, you get five hours till eight o'clock in the morning. So you still get the sleep. So Sheikh bin Bazi said, no, you can't just bring it forward like that. Sheikh Ahmed Najmi, I think as well, he said, no. Sheikh Al-Hidan, these are from the senior scholars as well. From the major scholars, they said, no, you can't just bring Isha forward and pray like that. Other scholars, they give some evidences about, you know, uh, there's a hadith on one occasion, the Prophet uh, some combined without any rain or these yeah. kinds of affairs. 
So they mentioned this narration that he combined once without any other reason of rain or anything. But this narration, So this is the other problem. If you use that hadith, that the Prophet combined Dhuhr and Asr once without a reason, that was once. How are you going to use that evidence to do every day for two months, two and a half months? So some scholars, they don't agree. They say, no, you can't just do that. Times for the prayers are times for the prayers. You know in Sweden, in, uh, now in these months, how long their fasting is? 22 in Norway, Sweden, Scandinavia. 22 and a half hours, 23 hours. They asked Sheikh Bin Baz a few years ago, and the Hayt Kibar ulama. This is to Sheikh, 23 hours. You open your fast, that's al-Maghrib. Al-Iftar. Salat al-Maghrib, wal-Iftar, wal-Isha, wal-Tarawih, wal-Suhur, wa'indana sa'ah. How do we all these things in one hour? You gotta pray Maghrib, open your fast, uh, eat, pray Isha, pray Tarawih, do everything, and then have your Suhur and pray Fajr, all of that within 90 minutes or something. What did the scholar say to them? Hayt kibar al-Ulama. What did they say? They said, as long, madam indakum. They said, as long as you have a sunrise and a sunset, then you have a full day. You have a day. You have a sunrise time. You have a sunset time. That means you have a day. If you have a day, then you have to fast the day. There's no such thing as saying, oh, but the longer day, and you know how the fatwa they give sometimes. They say, uh, fast on the jadwal uh, al qura So here in the UK, you know this, some of these masakeen, they fast from jadwal al al qura what is it? Fajr uh, 4.35 a.m. and uh, Maghrib 6.37 p.m. In the UK, they open their fast, iftar, asa'asad, masa'an. They do it, masakeen. They take this fatwa, I don't know which ulama. So these kinds of things you can't do. You can't just start adopting things because it's long and short. There's a sunrise, there's a sunset. The times of the prayers can be, can be understood or not. They can. Even if you say Isha time doesn't enter, the scholars say do what? Estimate from the nearest Muslim country where there is a time. Because they use the example of the Dajjal. When the Dajjal comes, a day will feel like a year, a month. How do you pray like that when a day feels like a year? The scholars, they said, the Prophet told them in the hadith, Estimate the prayer times for the day when it feels like that. So the Sheikh said, Sheikh bin Baz, that's what you do. If the Isha prayer doesn't enter, technically, then the nearest country where it does enter, estimate your time on that. That's easy. 90 minutes, 1 hour, 40 minutes after Maghrib, your Isha prayer. So, uh, what appears to be correct, Allah A'lam, is that the combining should not be done. But it's an opinion of some of the scholars, it's not something to argue over as such. Anything else then? You know, if, if the imam is combined in the masjid, are you allowed to leave after Maghrib? Okay. Ideally, if that occurs, you shouldn't leave. But it doesn't mean you have to pray. You can pray nafal. If you believe that it's not allowed to pray Isha combined with Maghrib, don't break off the jama'ah and everybody start walking off. Stay there and pray for the sake of unity, but do nafal intention. And then afterwards, in the time of Isha, pray your Isha. Hmm. Mosque or whatever, if they open it, if they don't, then at home, what can you do? If it's your local mosque, if you have to go to a different mosque where the door come by, 
No, you can stay with your local mosque. That's not an issue. You can stay there as long as it's permissible to pray behind them. And then if they combine, you don't follow that opinion. For example, pray nafal when they pray that for afterwards. And then you can go and then pray Yosha later. Then you're not breaking off and people walking off and everybody thinks a difference of opinion. Everybody and stay with the imam. Just pray for nafal. Everybody looks united. Then it's together. And then you can pray Yosha afterwards. They could, they could go. They, oh, what do you mean to combine? Well, uh, like we said, some of the scholars give the fatwa you can. Some of the scholars give the fatwa you can. No. All right, we'll conclude there. Inshallah, next week, 7 p.m.